Everybody, we have news. November of 2024, we are going to Cape Cod, Massachusetts to treat folklore and evermore by Taylor Swift as sacred. I'm so excited to lead this pilgrimage. These albums are such a different space for Taylor, where instead of being about litigating a tabloid narrative that's been created around her and her life and asserting her own perspective, this was about her reinterpreting her own feelings and experiences through fictional lenses. And so we get to meet all of these characters, and some of them are like con men who fall in love with other con people. And others are like depressed middle-aged people who are like, if this is the best I can do, (laughs) work with me here. And I am so excited to sort of talk about the kind of art that you get to create when you have privacy and you're free from scrutiny and self-examination. I'm so excited to explore all of that at the beautiful auto camp where everybody is going to have a private 1950s Airstream that's been converted into like a luxury hotel room complete with your own bathroom. It's just like the best glamping situation you could possibly imagine. Which I've just wanted to glamp my whole life. I'm so excited. Everybody, this is going to be November 8th through 11th in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. You can find out more by going to readingandwalkingwith.com. 
lots of sitting in coffee shops and powering through academic articles and books. And uh, it's fun, but I am I do miss teaching a little bit. Well, I I won't ask you about your book because I can respect a boundary sometimes. But (laughs) what are you thinking about quitting? So I I've been thinking a lot about my sort of boundaries around speaking of boundaries, (laughs) um, social media use which is a thing I think so many of us think about all the time. It was the subject really of my last book, IRL. Uh, and I did say at the end of that book that I didn't have it all figured out. And sure enough, I'm still figuring a lot of it out. And one of the things I've been trying to figure out is my relationship to social media, particularly when it comes to the boundaries of my day. So, you know, using social media kind of at the end of the day and at the start of the day, and even more specifically in the middle of the night. So I am really trying to work on my hydration goals in general, which means, you know, I usually get up at least once a night to use the bathroom and I'll sort of climb back into bed. I'll look over at my phone. I'll know I shouldn't grab it. I should just go back to sleep. But 99% of the time I'll grab it and I'll look at it. And then all of a sudden, you know, 30 minutes has gone by and I have been awake and I'm more awake than I would like to be. And so you know, I've quit a number of things in my life, whether it was smoking or drinking. Um, and usually I've had to be pretty all or nothing about a lot of those things. But this is something that I don't feel like I can be like completely all or nothing about. And so I know it's the kind of thing that just you have to kind of always work at and figure out what's working and what's not. And I just think that, yeah, when it comes specifically to sleep and using my phone and using social media specifically, I just it's something I'm. I'm wanting to work on. So I think I want to quit definitely checking my phone in the middle of the night, period. I just think I want to leave it there. (laughs) But then I also think maybe I want to quit whether it's like an hour before bed and 30 minutes after waking up or something. Just not have it be the first thing I reach for um, and kind of the last thing I look at. So that's what I'm thinking about. As are so many of us, as you said. So Chris, I understand why it's bad to check your phone in the middle of the night. It makes you more awake. You're losing that REM sleep. Like that seems really obvious to me. And I've read studies about turning off our brain a little bit in the blue light right before we go to bed. So that also, I know a little bit about how that's beneficial, but that's less clear to me. I'm wondering why you want to stay off social media first thing in the morning. Yeah. Why does that feel bad to you? I mean, yes, all those are the kind of like obvious reasons why maybe it would be beneficial for me to bracket my social media use, especially at the end of the day, in the middle of the night, too. But really, IRL was this exploration of what are the kind of underlying human impulses that inform our Internet and social media use? What are we trying to experience when we go online? In what ways does our social media use reflect our desire to connect to be seen, to learn, to make meaning of our lives, all of these things. And one of the things I discovered in that process for me is that a lot of my social media use was sort of unconscious anxiety soothing. Mm -hmm. When I was 13, a therapist identified that I had OCD. And that's been something that has shaped a lot of my understanding of my relationship with anxiety. And OCD really is a sort of just a maladaptive response to uncertainty, which is something that we all struggle with as human beings. We all have a hard time with uncertainty and we all struggle with it. In the case of OCD, that sort of desire to rid yourself of uncertainty takes on these really kind of maladaptive forms. And I started to recognize that a lot of that 
desire to try to stamp out any uncertainty was expressing itself in my digital habits, the kind of constant refreshing and scrolling, the checking to make sure that nothing bad was happening online. And so when I grab my phone first thing in the morning, or when I look at it right before going to bed at night, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to kind of self-soothe that you know discomfort with uncertainty. If I check right away, then I know okay, there's nothing bad happening. You know, I, I didn't tweet something that then got picked up by, you know, really abusive corners of the internet or something like that. Like just knowing that that's not happening, suddenly I feel better. Instead of actually just addressing the anxiety, the uncertainty that I feel and managing it in sort of other ways. So f- I think for me, that is a lot of why it's not just about the light, um, making sure I'm not looking at it at the end of the day. It's also about sort of what's the underlying motivation, making sure I'm aware of what aspects of my social media use are about kind of opening myself up to the world, connecting with others, having meaningful experiences, and what aspects of it are about trying to kind of make myself less anxious to rid myself of uncertainty, all of those things. Do you have easy access to other ways to manage your anxiety and sense of uncertainty if you weren't checking your phone? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of my biggest sort of therapeutic projects over right. the years. I have a bit of a toolkit for other kinds of anxiety or uncertainty that I experience. I take medication. That obviously helps. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. I think because... Other things are a little bit easier to kind of bracket to say like, well, I'm just not going to do that or I'm like, I'm not going to do that at all or I'm not going to do that, you know, in this moment, you know, because so much of society is shaped around these, you know, devices that we carry around with us at all times that we're expected to be reachable, accessible all the time. I feel this pressure to have less boundaries with these platforms with this device then is really necessary, truly. But it's just, it's harder for me to manage that relationship. Whereas like, for example, with smoking, I smoked for years as a way of self-soothing around my anxiety, my discomfort with uncertainty, et cetera. It was much easier for me to just be able to say eventually, I'm just not going to smoke at all. I have other better, (laughs) you know, resources. This feels a lot harder to do that with. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So walk me through. So you tweet something a little bit provocative and awesome at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night. Then you stop looking at your social media because you're going to go to bed early tonight and you don't want that to be the last thing you see. And then you go to bed and you wake up in the middle of the night to pee and you look at your phone and you go, haha, I'm not falling for <laughs> you, phone. I'm not going to check you. I have a clock that I'm going to look at. Ah, it's 2 a.m. Great. I'm going back to bed. And then you wake up in the morning and you feel like, I wonder how that tweet (laughs) is doing that I tweeted at 6 p.m. last night. Is there anything wrong with soothing that anxiety and uncertainty with checking? Like, is what is the better option to you? Is it like, do you know what? It doesn't matter. And I'm going to go meditate or I'm going to go on a walk. Like, what's wrong with just checking at that point? Yeah. Well, and that's where I think my my kind of approach to this has always been like, well, I'll just kind of take this on a case-by-case basis. But what that really ends up kind of defaulting to is that I just always check. So like, I think under certain circumstances, like if I had a slightly better managed relationship with all of this, I think that would be pretty reasonable. But 
because I think it's kind of the default, that's sort of maybe what I want to work on. And that's why, I mean, I have thought about a lot of the things that people think about with this stuff, whether it's downloading one of those apps that locks you out of your social media, whether it's getting rid of social media on my phone and only using it when I'm on my like desktop computer. I've thought about all these different things. I just don't, ultimately they just feel like sort of band-aids over the underlying issue, which is like not working on the discomfort with the uncertainty. So I feel like I would rather just kind of work on that than to be so black and white about it and say, because I can't control myself, I'm going to just lock myself out of my social media. Like that just doesn't feel as good to me as actually kind of trying to work on it and have more of what you're describing, this kind of ongoing negotiation with my relationship with these things. So I think inherently there's nothing wrong with checking in the morning, but I don't think I want that to be just the sort of go-to impulse. So you don't want a rule of like, I only check social media between 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. Yeah, I mean, I've always looked with kind of admiration in some ways at people who have those policies, whether it's around social media, whether it's around email, you see like in some people's email signatures, like I practice a kind of digital Sabbath. I don't check email on the weekend, you know, whatever it is. I only check email two days a week. Right. That's awesome. And I'm thrilled for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I could try it. I could try it. It, but it doesn't sound satisfying to you because I'm just hearing two yeah. things. I'm hearing of like a technical thing. And then what I'm also hearing from you is like a desire to confront your anxiety and fear of the unknown and sit with that yeah. feeling and be like, okay, Chris, you're feeling anxious right now. Twitter checking is not actually going to address right. that. Right. And like getting comfortable with that feeling so that that feeling isn't as bad. I'm not a therapist, so I don't know how healthy that is. I think a little bit of, you know, discomfort, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is really important. Yeah. But I don't know why a rule wouldn't be helpful. So I think for me, this is like one of the, this is one of the like big, like capital T tasks of my life is like forever negotiating my relationship with uncertainty and getting more comfortable with it. And so I think anytime I sort of notice that bubble up in some part of my life, whether it's social media or something else, I want to tackle it kind of like what you're saying. Um, I also think, though, like in general, there is a lot of information in those moments of discomfort like that. It's actually sitting in that uncertainty that and that discomfort that you get to kind of recognize, like, well, what is it that I'm worried about and why am I so worried about it? And I think it's become a little too easy for me to just shoo those feelings away the, at the very first moment um, that they arise, which is why, again, I think like maybe trying a little bit of a boundary might put me in those feelings of discomfort a little bit more so that I can better understand what's going on there. So I really don't understand why a schedule doesn't work for you. I guess it it probably does. I just, you know, I think really it comes down to I have this image in my head that I should be able to just manage this relationship like yeah. so thoughtfully mm-hmm. all the time and that, you know, 
putting those boundaries in place means like I've failed to do that, which I know isn't true. Yeah. And again, when I see other people like have, you know, tech Sabbath as a part of their, I'm like, that's awesome. Like good for them. They're doing exactly what they need to do. But obviously I have like a different set of rules for myself. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about that for a second though, right? It's something that I've realized while doing Should I Quit is when I get really frustrated with other people's what I've like come to call purity mindsets that I have to do it entirely and well and or, or does it even matter that I did it? And then whenever I'm in your seat, <laughs> I'm like, no, but I have to do it purely <laughs> or what is the point? Yeah. Like, why do we need things to be pure? And just, you are forewarned that I'm going to weaponize whatever you say against you in a minute. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I love that. So a couple things come to mind for me. Like, I published my first book over a decade ago. I was really young when it came out. You were a baby. I was truly a baby. And if I were to pick up that book and read a page, I might feel some some secondhand embarrassment. I f- might feel some little moments of cringe. But... You know, if I was just going to wait until I felt like, okay, now I can, I'm finally ready to do this book perfectly, then it, I would have never written it at all. And writing that book got me to the place where I could write the next book, is going to get me to the place where I could write the next one. And so I know I can practice that in other parts of my life. Or like, actually, one of the most powerful reminders for this for me has been almost two years ago, I started powerlifting just completely something I've never done before. I never touched a weight in my life in part because I was like, well, I have no idea what to do with those. So I'm not going to touch them because if I don't know how to do it right, I don't want to do it. And I almost just sort of fell into powerlifting. I had made this podcast um, that was really sort of unreal, a very emotionally uh, demanding experience. And about a month after that came out, I think I just felt like I needed to do something completely different. That was like the opposite. It was like not about thinking or feeling. It was just about like moving and being embodied. And I happened to move to a neighborhood that had this powerlifting gym nearby. And I was like, let's check that out. (laughs) And so I've been doing that the last couple of years and I'm doing something that really doesn't come naturally to me. Like I am not a natural athlete at all. (laughs) And so I'm constantly doing it poorly, making mistakes, doing it wrong. But I found that to actually be so freeing to be like, oh, Mm -hmm. here's a space. And in part, it's really helpful because this has nothing to do with career, has nothing to do with, Mm -hmm. you know, my professional life. It's something I'm just doing for me. And so it feels that much easier to just like do it imperfectly and then do it a little less imperfectly the next time and a little less imperfectly the next time and so on. And so... I completely agree, like in theory, and I know I can practice this in other parts of my life. I just think that there are certain things, and maybe it has to do with the fact that I described working on my relationship to uncertainty as one of my capital T tasks in life (laughs) earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. This is something that I like take really seriously and see as really important to becoming, you know, a better version of myself and something I'm just going to be working on throughout my entire life. And so, I think sometimes maybe I put too much pressure on myself around that. And if I could just let myself try this other way of doing it, even if it's not in my mind, like what I would do in the most perfect expression of this and just take some of that pressure off, try it, see how it goes. That I think would, I think I'm just probably getting in my own way a little bit around that. Yeah. The thing to quit is this, like, I have to do it perfectly mindset, right? Is the perfection. Well, that's a, that's a thing I need to quit. Yeah. Like just 
for the rest of my life, I'm going to be working on quitting that. What a great (laughs) thing to practice quitting that on though, right? So you set up a timer and not even like an app timer. Like you just make a rule for yourself. I am regularly my least anxious self. I'm making this up from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So those are the only hours I'm allowed on Twitter. And then that's it. And then you are doing something not perfectly, according to your <laughs> definition. I think you are doing it perfectly because you're not like so zen that you can opt in and opt out of like a dopamine rush machine that is tied in many legitimate ways to your career, right? That like you need. I don't know, like that is such a great way to practice a lack of perfectionism. So this, this boundary around social media is actually you like doing some power lifting and being like, okay, I'm going to practice a commitment to not perfectionism badly. And it's actually great to do things imperfectly. It means that you have room for growth and growth is exciting. And, you know, it's one of these examples of like, I felt this way all the time when I was working full-time as a chaplain. I wonder if you will relate to this at all, but I felt like I was really able to offer like, things that someone might consider applying in their own life, you know, and yet I would hear myself saying that and be like, okay, well, why am I not doing that? <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> it's yeah. uh, definitely an example of like, yeah, I, I absolutely like theoretically get all of this and, and yet still like, I'll probably have a few, you know, little snide comments that I'll make to myself about my perfectionism on this journey. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I just, This obsession that we have with doing things right or not at all is just so interesting to me. It's so interesting to me. And I do think that it is worse than ever. I know that there have always been perfectionists and like, you know, Flaubert only wrote two books because he like once spent three months on picking one word (laughs) in Madame Bovary or, you know, whatever. But like... I do think it's worse now because mistakes can be made so public so quickly. Everything just feels more high stakes. So I think that it's even a further reason for us to be not easy on ourselves, but like a little bit gracious with ourselves about not trying to do things perfectly because none of us would ever do anything in the age of the internet if we always had to do things perfectly. It's so true. And, you know, again, like some of the most rewarding and meaningful experiences in my life have been those moments where I was, I knew something wasn't perfect, but I took that leap anyway. Like I was so scared before making my podcast unread and I was like thinking about all the uncertainties, what's going to go wrong. You know, I've, I've made a mistake in doing this somehow, all of these kinds of things. And then, you know, it came out and it just ended up being the most, one of the most meaningful experiences of my life, the way that that show connected with people, you know, all those moments where I've been so scared about like doing something wrong or not doing it right enough and um, have taken that kind of leap anyway to just, you know, not to say don't do things with intention or care, obviously. Of course. But, you know, those have often been some of the moments where even though I had this voice saying like, let's just not do it at all. Those uh, really have been some of the most like meaningful experiences in my life for sure. Okay. So as we wrap up, is there a rule that you want to set? 
Okay, so let's try this on for size. Yeah. So I tend to go to bed around 11 or 12. So maybe, you know, from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And this is just maybe a a sort of start. We'll see how that feels. I can adjust. But maybe try from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. logging off. And if I am finding maybe that that is proving a little more difficult than I thought, perhaps I will try one of those apps or something that mm-hmm. where I can set restrictions around the access to the app with those hours and see if that makes that a little easier, kind of like training wheels on a bike. <laughs> totally. Oh, I love that. Should I end the episode by telling everybody a time in which you being so online saved me? <laughs> I mean, I want to hear that. <laughs> um, I got hacked on Twitter. And you texted me within seconds being like, (laughs) Vanessa, you were hacked, log in and change your, and then I did not know what to do. I was like, wait, but Chris, I don't know how to stop it. And you walked me through the process. You were like, go in, change your password, set up double authentication and walked me through the whole process. (laughs) And if you hadn't been so on Twitter, you wouldn't have noticed. And this hacker would have sent more like really inappropriate tweets from my account. So, attention hackers, if you want to hack Vanessa's account, do so between the hours of 10 p.m. and 10 a.m. Central. (laughs) Half of our (laughs) listeners are hackers. (laughs) You might want to reflect on what's going on there. (laughs) (laughs) They're all coming on to ask whether or not they should quit hacking. It's going to be a very long season. (laughs) Chris, I just love talking to you so much and I love your brain and your heart. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to us and I can't wait to read the super secret next book. (laughs) But while people are waiting, they should check out your amazing book, IRL. Casper and I did an event about it together. Like we are big believers in this book and your work. And so if you are somebody with feelings about social media, (laughs) then IRL is an amazing book to pick up. And Unread is your podcast, which is also absolutely incredible. And everybody should check that out as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You've been listening to Should I Quit, our latest season of The Real Question. Our show is funded almost entirely through our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you're a regular listener and want us to keep going, we would really love your support. Another way that you can support the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening, or just tell a friend. Grab them by the wrist and look deeply into their eyes and tell them, I have a podcast for you, and it's called Should I Quit? You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and Twitter at The Real Q Pod, but don't check between the hours of 10 p.m. and 10 a.m. We would like to shout out our BFF tier patrons, Molly Reilly, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Amanda Schramm, Effie Hugh, Shannon Chien, and Renee Underhill. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nuttleman. Our music is by Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. A special thanks this week to Chris Steadman. And thanks, as always, to our wonderful team, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, and Lara Glass, AJ Uramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Wilson, Courtney Brown, Casper Jerkyle, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thank you. 
Hi listeners, this is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning-making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit-building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information, and be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com.